excited to be here. It's been good to meet everyone, meet uh, Pastor Alex. And I was joking with him on the phone the other day. Uh, we lived in the Middle East for a number of years. And my daughter went to a British school, and she wanted to be British. She was very upset that she was an American, and she wanted a British passport, and uh, she wanted to know why she couldn't be British. And I was joking with him a little more that it didn't occur to me that when we rolled her in a British school that uh, she would learn British phonics. So, you know, she started saying, Daddy, I can't do this. I can't do this. And her O's and, and C's and S's were different. And so, you know, we had the big cookie versus biscuit debate in our house, you know. So those are some fun stories for us. But thank you for having me here today. This is Nan Ross, who is our volunteer coordinator, is up front here. And for those of you who aren't familiar with World Relief, uh, we're a global organization present in over nine countries working with refugees, displaced people, and in the United States, we are working with refugees and immigrants. World Relief in the U.S. has 27 field offices in 13 states. Our home office is in downtown Baltimore, but we also have a field office in Maryland in Anne Arundel County. And each of these field offices works with the State Department each year to resettle refugees. So this year, by the end of this month, the United States will have received 86,000 refugees. And World Relief works with the State Department to resettle 10,000 of those. So World Relief Anne Arundel, we're a bit smaller office. Uh, we've been around for about two and a half years, almost three years. And we resettled uh, this year. We just finished our last resettlement for the season, which will start again October 1st. We resettled 186 refugees. Uh, each year, the state of Maryland receives 2,157 refugees from a variety of nations. And uh, can anyone guess what the largest ethnic group is that comes to the United States? What? No, the Bhutanese are not the biggest. They're actually now one of the smallest. Uh, the Burmese, specifically the Burmese Chin, who are a Christian minority in Burma and are persecuted for the Christian uh, faith. The Burmese Chin have been uh, Christians for over 100 years, and uh, the larger uh, Buddhist population does persecute them. So contrary to a lot of times when you see on the news, you'll see different things, but actually 42% of all refugees that come to the United States are Christian. And they're your brothers and sisters in Christ, and they've been persecuted, and they're devout Christians really just trying to live their faith, and they can't do that in their home countries. So that's something to think about. So the Burmese are a large people group that come to the United States still. Uh, Congolese are another big number that are coming, as well as Iraqi and Afghanis who have served with the U.S. military, U.S. forces, or helped out the U.S. government in some way and are being evacuated now. So those are some of the larger groups that uh, are coming into the United States right now. Uh, Syrians are also coming to the United States. We just resettled the United States, just our ten, celebrated our 10,000 Syrian refugee. And uh, this first week in September, we resettled a... Uh, the Syrian family in Glen Burnie, a family of six that had been living in a refugee camp in Jordan. And they're a great family. You know, the thing that amazes me about refugees is they have so much to be upset about. They could be so angry and so upset. They've, been, they've lost their homes. They've lost family members. They've been displaced. They've lost everything. And they're coming to a country where they know absolutely nothing about how to live and work here. And some of them have the greatest spirits about they're just happy to be safe. They're happy to be alive, and they feel so blessed. And this family, the Syrian family that we've been working with, their kids have a, a medical disorder, and we're getting the medical treatment, but the kids probably won't make it till their 18th birthday. But at the same time, the parents are just blessed in spirit and thankful 
that people are helping them and working with them. And that's what you'll encounter with most refugees. They're just thankful that people are helping them, thankful that people care about them, thankful that we, we want to help them. You know, and I understand a little bit, not that I've ever been a refugee, but my wife and I, we lived in the Middle East for a number of years. So I know what it's like to move, leave the United States, move to another country where you don't speak the language, try to set up your life there, try to go to work, uh, you know, enroll your kids in school and do all the different things, and you're not a citizen. You know, and so, and there's some things that are withheld from you because you're not a citizen. So I do understand that to some, some degree a little bit. When we talk about World Relief, there's nine resettlement agencies working to resettle 85,000. World Relief this year has resettled 10,000. But what makes World Relief different than all the other resettlement agencies is our mission statement. Our mission statement is to empower you, the local church. We cannot resettle refugees without you. I have a staff of seven people. Now I want you to think about seven people resettling 186 people. It's not a great ratio. And, in fact, we had one week where in four days we received 37 refugees in four days. Now, a couple of things you learn about reselling refugees in 37 in four days. One, there is a limit to how much Red Bull you should be allowed to legally drink. <laughs> but the second thing that you learn about is how involved the church can be and how involved the community can be. And when you look at this huge obstacle that looks like a crisis, it's actually an opportunity for the church to show love, to show affection, to reach out to those who are in need. And it's amazing what God does in the hearts of our brethren. And amazing things happen. And one of those stories is, you know, back in March, we resettled a Shia, Shia Muslim family. And they'd been with a, we partnered with them with a church, what we call a good neighbor team. So some of our, um, you saw the volunteer at least on the screen. But a lot of our churches uh, say, you know what, we want to go beyond just being volunteers. We want to form a good neighbor team. It means we want to have a team that commits to a refugee family for one year. And so one of our families that we did this with is from Iraq. The uh, husband was an interpreter, a security escort for U.S. Marine Forces, and he had to be evacuated from Iraq. And he began to work with the church, and they're working with him. And after a three-month time period, I talked to him, and I said, so I said, Yasser, what do you want to do now? It's been three months. Do you want to stay here in Maryland? Do you want to move closer to Baltimore where you have family? You know, your wife has family in Virginia. What is it your family, you want to do as a family? He goes, I want to stay as close to the church as possible, James. The church is my family now. The church has fulfilled all my needs that my family would have fulfilled. And if you, in a Muslim culture, in a Muslim context, he's saying, you are family. He's saying the church is the same as family. The church are his brothers and sisters. You know, and he's a Shia Muslim, which is a little bit different than Sunni Muslims. And most of the mosques here in Maryland are Sunnis. And he's not always widely accepted in the mosque. And he was in my office last week. And he reminded me, he said, you know, James, they just still don't accept me because I'm Shia in the mosque. I pray differently. Sometimes I'm told to go to the back of the room or people distance themselves from me. But he said, you know, the church, they love me no matter what. They show me so much love. And he said, you know, the more I think about this, Maybe I don't need other Muslims. Maybe I don't need other Arabs. Maybe all I really need is Christians. And that's something really profound that he's saying because he's thinking about who are the people giving into his life, loving him, showing him the love of Christ, showing him the love of God. It's not other people in the community. It's Christians. He's not feeling love or acceptance at the mosque. 
because he's a little bit different, but it's the church that's accepting him. So when we talk about how can the church really empower people, how can the church really make a difference, that's an example. Making a difference, helping a family adjust to life in the United States. It was a church with Yasser and Noor that enrolled the kids in school, you know, taught Yasser how to drive in the U.S. That's a fun experience. If you really want a serious cultural, like, shock process and you want to go a little bit out of your comfort zone, doing driving lessons with refugees <laughs> is for you. So most of them know how to drive, but they don't understand U.S. laws or you know, that driving the U.S. is a little bit different than driving in the Middle East or Africa or other countries, but it's a fun experience. It'll bring you closer to God. And so you'll say a lot of prayers, and you'll grow spiritually. But there's a lot of ways you can be involved with world relief. One is that you can pray for us. You know, when we receive 37 refugees in four days, we need a lot of prayer. You know, there's a lot of things going on in our lives. We're pulled away from our families during that, that time of, you know, of, of intense busyness. Uh, but also, you can pray. You can pray for us. Another way is you saw that you know there are volunteer opportunities. There are po- opportunities to become good neighbor teams. But also, um, we understand a lot of people today are busy. You know, they have a lot of commitments with their family in different way in different things. Um, and so, you can also do welcome kits. Uh, you know, after the service, talk to Nan and myself about welcome kits. Welcome kits are a very practical way to help a refugee start. Uh, life here in the United States. Imagine if you needed a kit for your bedroom, for your bathroom, for your kitchen, for your apartment, just, you know, for your living room to set up an apartment. That's what a welcome kits are. They keep the cost down for refugees who come with very little resources, very little funds to set up their apartment, and it allows them to maximize those small resources by not having to go out and buy pots and pans, bed sheets, or pillows, or towels, or things of this nature, and even car seats. So a lot of times... Partnering with us by providing welcome kits is a is a great uh, resource. This year, we'll need about 300 welcome kits. And even if you're too busy to go out and shop, guess what? Everyone loves Amazon. So we've, we've even taken a step farther. You can buy welcome kits just on Amazon. So that's an opportunity. We can show you how to do that. You just click it, and it's shipped right to us for a refugee. But uh, there will be different opportunities that we'll talk to Pastor Alex about how you and your church can get involved this year and what can be done. And, you know, a lot of times when we see refugees on TV, we have very mixed emotions. We see things, the, the, the news, the way they're talking about people, also maybe saying some negative things about refugees and immigrants. I want to assure you that refugees are the most vetted people in the United States coming into the United States. Refugees go through an intense 13 security check process. Some of them wait 10 years to come to the United States. What you might see in Europe is not happening here. People do just not get on a plane. People go through a very intense security check process, and even a case is reviewed again and again and again before they arrive in the United States. And then it comes to my desk, and I ask a lot of questions if there's maybe some things that haven't been explained. So refugees are vetted. It's a safe, secure process to bring people into the United States. But ultimately, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, is there an element of risk? Probably at times. But at the same time, are we looking to keep ourselves always in our, in, our, in our comfort zone? Are we looking to seek and help those, seek those who need and help them? If you think about the history of the church, the Christian church has a great history of hospitality, a great history of serving those in need. You know, in, in ancient in Europe, when there was often the plague or the disease, and everyone would flee the cities, you know who stayed to take care of the sick? Christians. You know who showed hospitality above and beyond? It was Christians. And so I want to remind people of that when we think about refugees and we think about people that are different. 
And I remember when I moved to the Middle East, it was Muslims who showed me a great amount of hospitality and love. They made me feel welcome in their country. They helped my family get settled. They treated me like a brother, had me to their house for family functions, for dinners, for weddings. You know, it was a very, I often think I understood hospitality or generosity before I went to the Middle East. And the answer to that would be no. It was other people of other cultures who taught me how to be hospital, show hospitality as a Christian. So we'll be around after the service. You want to come talk to Nana and myself, have a few questions, want to know different things, questions about refugees, what's going on. It's a big topic in the news. I know a lot of you see the news and watch it. So, you know, come talk to us. We're happy to answer your questions. And just thank you for having us here today. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for sharing. Let us share today. Thanks.